Diversity, it might be what's holding your team back and you may not know it yet and may not know how to solve it. For that reason, I'm really excited to tell you that Data Futurology has established a partnership with She Loves Data and we're doing a series dedicated on improving diversity in your organization, in your teams, in your workplace, so you can get the most value out of your teams, out of your data and create products that the market really wants. Tune in every week as we speak with executives and female leaders from all over the world on how they have targeted and improved the diversity on their teams. And you can find out what we can learn from them. We are thrilled as a She Loves Data to be part of the Tough Futurology podcast, where we will showcase some female leaders, but the leaders from tech industry. And we will be talking about strategies, about data, about biases, and about diversity. Join us. I wanted to say a big thank you to our sponsors. One of our sponsors is Shine Solutions Group. Shine Solution Group is a technology consultancy that has been empowering their enterprise and government partners with pragmatic technology solutions for over 20 years. Learn more at shinesolutions.com. Also a big thank you to SAS, giving you the power to know. Through innovative software and services, SAS empowers and inspires data advocates around the world to transform data into intelligence. Committed to diversity, did you know about the Women in Analytics Network that they have? It's a SaaS-sponsored networking program aimed to strengthen diversity in the analytics field. Check it out in the show notes below. They're definitely committed to it as they're helping us with this diversity series too. I also would like to tell you about Growing Data. Growing Data is a consultancy that helps organizations unlock the full potential of their data. They work with some of Australia's most successful organizations from finance. They work with people like ANZ Bank, through to biotechnology companies like CSL, and all the way to construction, working with companies like Metricon. They help these and many more companies solve their most challenging data-related problems in analytics, machine learning, data engineering, and data governance. While I was at ANZ Bank, I got the pleasure to work with the team at Growing Data, and I can tell you for a fact, they are top-notch. I highly recommend Growing Data. Find out more at growingdata.com.au. Also, a big thank you to Talent Insights. Talent Insights are Australia's leading data specialist recruitment business. They are experts in recruitment strategy and delivery for analytics and data teams. They are the go-to recruitment business for all your data roles in Australia, and they can help both with permanent hires and short-term project-focused data resources. I've used Talent Insights in the past, and I've always found them fantastic to work with. Visit them at talentinsights.com.au. Hi, and welcome to Data Futurology. My name is Felipe Flores. Thank you so much for joining us today. We are continuing our special series called She Leads. We're doing this in partnership with She Loves Data. We're very excited to collaborate uh, with this great organization on a really important topic to the industry, really important area for us to discuss within data, which is diversity and how we can improve it, what are the different aspects of it and how we can, can make for better leaders. My co-host for today is Patricia Moles. Uh, she's the head of partnerships at She Loves Data. How are you doing, Pat? I'm good. And as always, I'm happy to be in this fantastic series representing She Loves Data. And I'm so glad to be here today in this conversation with fellow data-driven marketers. Amazing. Marketing is the name of the game today. Uh, Data-driven marketing, AI-driven marketing, and we've got two very special guests, which we're very, very excited about. Uh, first, we got Vid from Coca-Cola. He's the Asia Pack Marketing Technology Director at the Coca-Cola company. Uh, Vid, thank you so much for joining us today. How are you doing? Yeah, uh, very good Friday, so happy to be here. <laughs> Oh, mate, we're very excited and also very excited to speak with Pavel uh, Bulowski. Mate, you are the CMO at Mayro, obviously a co-founder at She Loves Data, but today I'm very keen to pick your brains from, from a Mayro perspective, if, if that works for you. How, how are you doing today? Uh, good morning from Prague again, and it's uh, exciting and interesting to be sitting on the other side of the table for, for once, you know, so <laughs> looking forward to this. And uh, thanks for the early start. Um, we, we really, really appreciate it. 
Um, so I wanted to to kick us off by by asking you asking you both and and uh, Vid, maybe we can start with you. I wanted to ask you both about your your origin story. Um, give us an overview of your career background and how you were pulled into into this world or of uh, you know marketing technologies and data driven marketing and how you you got to where you are today. Um, I'll ask you uh, Vid first. Sure. I mean, uh, I'm not sure if this is an exciting or it's an excellent origin story, but hey, uh, but, uh, you know, I started uh, as a pure front-end uh, engineer. Um, uh, I loved user experiences. Uh, I still do. Uh, and uh, in my free time, I still try to dabble with some of the front-end technologies, React and uh, Node and you know, do my fun little experiments. Uh, but that's where I started. Uh, but... 12 years ago, um, you know, and uh, that love for user experiences sort of led me into uh, product management roles, uh, you know, and uh, you know, and that's the initial journey where I got into Attic. Uh, so I was part of Crema Video, uh, was one of uh, you know, uh, you know, the few companies which also uh, you know sort of brought FlySide and Mindside together for a while before it got split into a couple of different versions. Uh, so I was part of the demand side platform team there. So you started as a front end engineer, gone on to engineering ranks, product management. We built uh, one of the first uh, self-service uh, DSP platforms back then, which was nice. very, uh, very much the buzzword back then. So that's where uh, you know my ad tech journey really started to kick on. Uh, you know, I've always been a fan of you know uh, you know uh, how ad tech uh, really runs the internet economy, right? I mean, now more than ever, it's actually even more critical how we run internet in a very consumer manner and still you know uh, make it free is something that's very close to my heart, and I uh, have been continuing my journey ever since there from uh, you know DSP company to uh, you know market company and market co. Uh, in and Coke for close to two years uh, and enjoying so far. That's incredible. Now I'm very, very keen to um, to pick your brain around around that whole space and definitely marketing technologies and how the, the two worlds uh, converge. So thank you, thank you so much. And uh, Pavel, how about you? What's um what's what's your uh, origin story? How did you get here today? Um, well, you know, I think the only um, uh, common thread in my entire story is a. Uh, uh, a long string of saying yes to things I know little about um, and that got me where I am today. Um, so, you know, I've started in uh, food and beverage industry, actually. My, my, I've got my family background is in that. I'm actually a trained sommelier. So if you want a fun fact, that's, that's that. Wow, so I, nice. No, no I bit about my wine. Yeah, uh, and uh, you know, from there, uh, media, hospitality, uh, early e-commerce, uh, in uh, in Europe and then eventually on to marketing and analytics and that kind of led the way through consulting with uh, Jana starting the company five years ago uh, to Mero eventually three and a half years ago which is which now seems uh, forever but it's it's exciting and it's a really a culmination and I you know one thing I, I like about it is how when I we obviously work with clients from different industries uh, so anything from banking to telco FMCG uh, retail and I think. Often, often when I work with people on my team who kind of had that like one very uh, linear trajectory mm -hmm. uh, in their career, they 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 are good at what they do, but they don't see a bigger picture. And I think I think if that's one thing that I do, that's that's maybe that's maybe what I can bring to the table. So, ability to kind right. of um, synthesize across across the board a little bit more. Well, you both have very interesting journeys for sure. Uh, I'd like to direct the next question at Vid. For the benefit of those not quite familiar with the role, can you please describe to us what a head of marketing technology does and how do you interact with the other heads like chief data officer, chief marketing officer, chief information officer? Uh, this is a great question. Um, uh, in a different organization, uh, what I've seen is that this role can be were, uh, located in different locations, right? I mean, it could be under marketing, it could be under uh, digital or data, or it could be under, uh, you know, uh, CIOs too, right? So in Coke, particularly, I'm uh, rolling up under the CIO uh, bucket. But what I personally feel is this role is a bridge between CIOs, CMOs, CDOs, and all of those core functions that deal with marketing, right? 
what I personally feel is that there is a definite knowledge gap, right? I mean, um, we can't expect all of these, uh, you know, uh, functions to know everything about, you know, how the fundamental layer that connects each of these buckets to really come through, right? And that, to me, is the central role of uh, anybody who heads out in the, uh, in the domain of marketing technology. Uh, so regardless of where this role sits, I, I see this uh, particular person has to think about, uh, you know, going across the marketing or digital or technology to bridge the gaps and really come up with both the strategy and the execution of the angles, right? So I think that, in a sense, is what the role entails. Uh, the definition of uh, the structure will vary across companies, but the purpose is to really bridge the knowledge gap across these various departments. So it's not quite different from the newer roles they have, like a, a data translator, where they, they also bridge the gap between the business stakeholders and the tech and what they call the math men. So exactly, I exactly. exactly. Yeah. I see that as the same thing. Uh, it's a glorified translator, let's put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure it's very, and, you know, critical. Yeah, and, you know, you, you know, to make it a bit more real, like, uh, you know, uh, to take examples, right? So, you know, we are so um, into the era where Apple is talking about killing IDFAs or Google is trying to kill third-party cookies. It's not enough to just say that, right? I mean, I can't go to my marketing community or the CMO and say, hey, you know what, you know, IDFA is going up. He's like, what does that mean, right? Uh, you know, to translate that kind of uh, technology pieces to real marketing impacts. Hey, you know, if you want to have uh, direct consumer relationships, that's going to be heavily impacted. That is the kind of translations that need to happen. And right. honestly, so it's not as straightforward in different domains, but uh, it's one of the key roles for this particular uh, function. Thank you. Man, that is that is fantastic. And um, I wanted I wanted to to ask you both. I'll ask uh, maybe Pavel first um, about the you know the the rise of importance of data within marketing. It um it feels like in in the last few few year years um, there's been an increased focus on what data can can do in within marketing and how it can it can fuel data driven marketing and i don't know if that's in that's um trying to balance the scales between the art and science part of of marketing or whether data is taking over completely um do you, do you have any any views how how have you found the the journey so far alasa pavel first yeah uh, for sure so Look, I think uh, it's a bit of a pendulum swing in a way where, like you, like you said, if you look at marketing and if you go quite a bit back, not just, you know, six months or, or, or three or four quarters, marketing has been uh, kind of the domain of, of communications, you know, and I think it's impossible not to reference the Mad Men. Uh, it's been super popular TV show, right? Everybody, everyone's watched that. Uh, so if you kind of look at that, it's always been the communication, the creatives, that's been the discipline of marketing. But now when you look at what happened, uh, what happened in last few years, it's been all about AI, which is mostly written in PowerPoint, you know, in, in, in when it comes to marketing, to be, to be perfectly honest. But, um, it's it's been it's been there's been a lot of talk of data and it's clearly uh, because of there are a lot of different systems that marketers are managing that that uh, and this technology management would traditionally have been domain of IT and I, I kind of I suppose this is part of a kind of a with a, a, a entity as well here uh, as a as a marketing technology manager is, is essentially um, it's either a bridge to IT or a shadow IT function within the marketing because marketers traditionally if you think of the traditional communication people they would not have that skill set of, of management of technology data security data warehousing and you kind of see this data sitting in all sorts of pockets within those, those respective tools that marketers have acquired and if you look at some of the research it's it, it varies anywhere from uh, the kind of the, the highlights show that like marketers now manage more than 30 to 100 uh, applications within enterprise and all of it produces some kind of data so I think it's inevitable but I also think it's a bit of a uh, it's a bit of a blind side because 
you can't drive business by data. It, it's, I think, honestly, that, that's, that's, a, that's a bit of a misconception. Business has to be driven by business, right? You have to have a business objective. So in my mind, it's a business driven and informed by data, uh, but not data driven on its own. I think there is this like when people put it out in, into, into, you know, without a context in, into the open, it often feels like there is a bunch of data scientists who are able to find this whole new um, this, this whole new insights and directions for the company. And it's not necessarily so straightforward because often, again, data analysts don't have the business context and, um, you know, the best ones do, but that, that's rare breed as we know, right? So I think, I think that's, that's a, bit of a, a, bit, a bit of a pendulum swing towards the, the data has been emphasis on that. And I think now over the next couple of years, it's, it's going to come kind of back into the middle and we're going to be going to hear more of a kind of a business reasoning in, in marketing again. Supported by data, of course. Man, I love it. I love the, the informed by data instead of, um, you know, driven by data. That's, that's great. Um, Avid, have you, have you found the, the same? Do you think that the, um, the is, is, do, you, do you feel like uh, it's being a pendulum swing or is the art and science getting more into, into balance within the, the marketing discipline? How is it from, from your perspective? Um. I might have a slight variation on that, maybe a slight disagreement. I feel like the pendulum swings all the time, but decisively, I think it's getting closer to a balance where there's more science now, enabled by the digital uh, media, right? And uh, all the possible technologies, including the one from Google, right? Uh, CDPs is one of the new buzzwords, right? <clears throat> I think um, all of this is possible in the recent eras because of the advancement in technology. When, uh, you know, when we were in a completely different background a few years ago, the way not possible, right? Uh, but this pendulum will keep swinging, but at, you know, the, it's easy to see why the pendulum swings towards science, but it's also important to see why it goes away from science at some point, right? Uh, one of the most common conversations is around, are we over-investing? Uh, are we not seeing the connect to the actual ROIs? That's one of my day in day out pressures, right? I mean, I'm just bringing every damn technology into the mix. I'm not given that high a budget, and I can't, uh, you know, take it out without getting enough ROI. So, to me, uh, you know, there's always a necessity to prove the effectiveness of marketing, but it's also going to be kept in check by the need to provide ROI. So, I guess that is a supplement to the pendulum, which keeps swinging this way. Nice one. I can relate to that uh, that challenge of uh, always proving value in terms of ROI, and and they, in fact uh, the CEO of Oracle I think termed this as the marketing proof gap, right? So, yeah. a related question is: um, Are our marketing stacks all these automate automation and AI platforms? There are now eight thousand of them, right? How do you, it's, it's so honestly so difficult to, to keep up. What, which platforms are worth our attention and our money, really, in your opinion? What are the key uh, trends? I think from my point of view, it's very really hard to say which platform right now, right? I mean, like, uh, the concept has been evolving. Like, uh, one thing I've learned uh, from my time in the industry there is now one constant company that can provide everything. Uh, the closest that I've seen any company doing well in the entire Lumascape is possibly Trainbase, uh, right? I mean, uh, but beyond all of that, I think the importance is to know at any one point for any company, per se, uh, there are going to be multiple challenges. Our biggest problem is also the proof gap, right? I mean, there are multiple challenges. Uh, so, you know, is our touch point, let's say, a physical touch point, right? Uh, shelf in uh, a traditional store? Is it having more impact than a Facebook impression that people scroll up, scroll down very quickly? I mean, there are definite point of views there, but can we say it to, uh, you know, absolutely objectively? Uh, that's one of the, you know, things that we are working on internally. Yes. How do we look at the concept of ROI across channels um, and uh, really take it through? So to be really honest, uh, you know, it is the gap exists, uh, but every word, uh, every marketer, you know, who's thinking in this particular arena is pushing towards the dimension of how do we really reduce the gap, right? How do we prove the connection between, uh, you know, what we do as a marketing 
activity, whether it's you know actual you know packages from Coca-Cola or you know uh, media activity or owned properties or earned media or shared media, whatever that is, what is the value of it, right? Uh, we are trying to improve uh, you know more outcomes, but it's it's a, you know it's difficult. Some media is great, uh, you know digital gives us a lot of info. Uh, and uh, you know some are not so great. Uh, in those cases, we are trying to come up with some proxies to try to get around it for now. But as time goes, I expect a definite uh, you know progress in terms of how we do this better and better. And when we are more clear on ROIs, the right technologies will follow the conversation because it's not the other way around. Uh, you know, it's you know uh, if the ROI needs me to look at audiences in multiple screens. I'm going to look at the right technologies in this. If I go at it from a technology base to, uh, you know, the outcomes, it's going to come up with the wrong, wrong answers, and it'll, it'll be very difficult to convince uh, the company to go in a different direction. So the focus on ROI and outcomes is really important to uh, look at the vast set of options that we always. Absolutely, and uh, according to some studies that I've read. The value of Martech now, right, actually is is proving itself to be really indispensable in tracking customer experience and competitive uh, research. Really, uh, it may, like you said, it may take time to to have that attribution model that direct directly uh, points to an ROI. But at, at this point. It's, it's difficult, as you said. Pavel, any thoughts on this? Uh, I, I don't know where to start, to be honest. Uh, I think <laughs> ROI is, is, is honestly one uh, big, big challenge here for sure. Um, uh, massively, massively induced by the walled garden in marketing. Like you've got the advertising platforms, then they, they let you use the data inside of them, but they don't let you take the data outside of it and the synthesis of, of you know, multiple. Right, <laughs> virtually impossible. Uh, so I think that's a one challenge. I think second, second uh, kind of a sub challenge of the, of the ROI um, um, formula, you know, I think is, is the investments into the technology itself. I think we've seen marketers obviously increasingly investing into technology over, over last few years. And a lot of it is to be honest, an equalizer. Like if you, uh, if you, if you think of, uh, uh, I, I would kind of like to think of things of as a strategic purchases, right? Are these things making you stand out in the marketplace? Are they adding a capability that you have and that sets you apart from a competition. You know, if you buy the same DMP that's touching in the same data, data set as your competitor is, you're not, you're not, you know, stepping aside, you're catching up. And there's, there's, there's a few kind of problems I've, I've got philosophically with that. The other thing I think, um, and uh, as the, as this landscape grows and I, you know, I, every year I would that, watch that, that slide with the crowded with marketing vendors. And I think it was about three, four years ago where you kind of, you, you could, there was a last year where you could make out the logos. Now, now you cannot anymore. <laughs> yeah. Way too big. It's 9,000 plus vendors in there. So that, that's insane. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think the biggest, the, the, the big challenge that this comes with is obviously uh, uh, any type of a harmonization of, of, of these platforms. So, so interconnectedness, which, which isn't there. And, you know, even, even more uh, point, point, point in case are the big platforms. Like if you look at the big marketing cloud, no name to, no need to name, name names here. It's the blue ones and <laughs> the yellow ones or whichever, you know, but it's, it's, it's all effectively a bunch of in-house build tools, bunch of purchase tools, and they don't connect very well even with themselves uh, and have sort of an agenda not to really connect very well with the rest of the world so they kind of lock you in as a company a little bit more so so uh, how the question is how you assemble your technology stacks is, is a big one and that's exactly the role of kind of marketing technologies that that's coming that's coming to play here so i think that that's 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 you know fascinating um and uh, i think uh, uh, the the bigger picture here for me the question is 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 how uh, how are these investments tactical and how are they strategical because if you if you kind of look at what's happening in in a, in a world is eventually there is the world is going to be one connected marketplace like at, at the point in we are in, in an era where you can buy an MRI machine on on Alibaba and have it shipped to your house <laughs> next day basically yeah. right like that that that's seriously a thing and when that's a thing, meaning everything, including these, these, these super heavy scientific machines are becoming an absolute commodity. So what is going to be setting brands aside 
from the, the rest of the competition is going to be the customer experience. And you don't get great customer experience by sending me two emails, you know, every two days. Like it, it's, and especially if I don't open them, right? Like, and that's happening. We still see that. So I would like to kind of see, see it as, a, as a, an investment into the future of the brands and of the company. And that's, that's a difficult one to, uh, to justify in any sense because it's obviously a fleshier PR to do you know, AI stuff and, and you know, for banks to invest into fintech that's never really going to see it into production. But it makes it better headlines than, than uh, investing into, into customer experience because customer experience is something that's very, very hard to put ROI on in a similar way like the, uh, the technology or the marketing spends, right? So it's, it's not, there's not a straightforward calculation. So that's super broad topic, Pat, but that's, that's basically where, kind of where I see few pain points. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Um, lots, lots, of, lots of pain points and lots of improvements that can be done across the, sort of across the value chain and, and all the customer contact points. And um, I wanted to, to ask you guys, and, and I might start with you a bit, I wanted to ask you about the, um, the changes that have come out of the pandemic. So with, with COVID, a lot of more people were going or I guess were forced, you know, to, to be more online. Um, and how, how has that changed the, the approaches that you guys have taken as a company or what have you seen in the marketplace, uh, in the industry and in the market? And, um, and where do you see these changes going over, over time? Definitely. I think uh, the pandemic has, uh, you know, has been one of the best uh, catalysts for digital transformation. Uh, I mean, uh, Unfortunately, there are other uh, you know, major effects, but this was one possible good side effect of the whole pandemic. Um, I say good because what we thought as something will be a few years down the line, kind of an investment has been you know, given more credibility and accounted uh, for in terms of the roadmap right away. Uh, so, uh, and this is not just happening in Coke. I, I see this everywhere, uh, direct to commerce, uh, you know, direct to consumers commerce. It's, it's, it's there. I mean, uh, uh, a while ago, people weren't so used to the concept of QR codes. Now you say everywhere people are so familiar with QR codes. Really opens up the agendas a lot more. I mean, uh, you know, the consumer behavior patterns have changed significantly. Uh, you know, um, and I think that's a very interesting opportunity by itself. Um, and so, from a pure, you know, D two C point of view, and uh, you know, business model patterns, uh, I think there's a lot of interest in changes that are coming up. Um, but of course, if you look at the other dimension that Power Level was also trying to get to, which was uh, if the big platforms get a lot more traction through these, what happens to the open internet? Um, to me personally, on that, uh, COVID was a much smaller impact, but the changes before it, the uh, cookies changes and uh, IDFA changes had a much larger impact on that direction. Um, my thinking is, you know, basically the open internet has a reason to survive, uh, you, know, uh, you know, and we all, uh, whether it's large enterprises like Coca-Cola, other brands, other publishers, we all owe it to the open internet to really have the balance. Um, if the balance goes away, uh, there are really difficult circumstances that will come up in the long run. <clears throat> and that is something uh, that we owe it to ourselves and to the industry to really collaborate. Our biggest problems have been that we don't collaborate, and that's why the big wall gardens do what they do. Uh, so that's the other thing that we need to be watchful, uh, you know, coupled with uh, the COVID situation and the prior legislations. Uh, and rule changes within the browsers and everything. This is something that we need to really focus on. So, yeah. Yeah. No, that that makes that makes total sense. Um, how about from your perspective, uh, Pavel? How how did you see the the changes that are happening online, uh, possible effects of of the uh, of the pandemic, and and um, and maybe and maybe if you have any views on um, on cultivating uh, first. Uh, or data within the, the organization, getting together first party, second party, third party data. Um, that is, I guess, a bit of a follow-on from your from your previous discussion. But uh, how, how are you seeing the changes that are happening online and, and what the pandemic brought? Yeah, look, I, I think uh, super dramatic. It's been the single most 
you know, strongest uh, push towards any type of digitization that we have we have, we have seen so far. Um, you know, there's been the the, the great. Uh, I really love Market Tunis, so I'm sure you guys know the kind of the, usually like one page uh, uh, cartoon, and he's done like a joke on that. Who's been the the biggest? You know, who's been the sea level uh, driving the digital transformation this year? And it's been it's been COVID, right? Uh, so mm-hmm. I, th- I think that's that's very very true and very spot on. Uh, so so obviously a big push for companies to go uh, to go uh, sort of. Of, uh, uh, online spread the spread the hedge the risk of of uh, not you know not necessarily seeing uh, being affected by a retail shutting down in 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 when there's a complete lockdown in countries which I think we still you know we'll see in 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 near future uh, still a lot of that so I think uh, I think it's a, it's kind of a proofing proofing against that is a, is a big one um, I I think generally you know no, not related to to the pandemic situation um, a big drive towards transparency on uh, how consumer data is being used uh, not uh, well s- certainly uh, driven by uh, legal frameworks like GDPR which I think is in future the de facto standard for the world or where a lot of the legislations are being modeled on locally, um, which is obviously very, very comprehensive. And I think that's, as always, Europe kind of drives, drives the consumer protection uh, in, in effort in that sense. And I think that's really, really healthy. Um, I think brands need to be straightforward and uh, communicating with their brands. I think we are with, with the consumers, how they are uh, using their data. I think there is going to be a lot less of the trading second third party data not not as a as a as a trend i think there will be a lot of exchanging data between brands but it's going to be there is going to be a lot, lot less of this kind of like a, the long tail of reselling collection from shady apps that are free but obviously never free um so i think that's going to go away there's going to be a, a big platform push on that as well uh which which is certainly driven by some monetary rewards for the platforms that, that are driving this as well you know you can't really look away from that but um and nonetheless i think this is going to be leading to more transparency uh, for consumers and especially in the sense that uh the the consumers on the internet are maturing in a, in a way like we've seen big steep adoption curve you have now what four four and a half billion people on the internet or a little bit more than that um i i think i think there's been maturity in a, a curve in a, in the usage as well and people are going to be consumers are going to be requiring a, a transparent behavior from the brands they are working with so i think this is going to be how brands are managing their data how they are collecting it what they are deriving from it how they are using it is going to be is, is going to be need to be communicated a lot more clearly and there's going to be organizational focus on that um i, th- I think 100 that's my that's my big bet as something we will be hearing about a lot more in the upcoming years. Awesome. We, we're really living in interesting times, not just, you know, uh, uh, also in marketing, actually. I'd like to pick up on both your points that you mentioned earlier. Uh, Vid, you touched on the open internet and the need, I suppose, for the entire MarTech ecosystem to be more diverse. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, what, what are the, is the industry doing anything to, to address this as, as, I mean, a, as a whole, as an ecosystem? Yeah, I mean, uh, <clears throat> so I think the reality is that there are a lot of efforts, right? So um, I've seen, so uh, we are part of the uh, IAB organization too, uh, yeah, the IAB. worldwide organization. So, um, and there are a lot of industry efforts, um, and then, uh, you know, whether it's Project REARC, um, you know, uh, and our train desk, uh, Unified ID, uh, there are a lot of equalizer solutions coming out in the open. Um, my biggest fear is that, you know, uh, every player thinks for their own way and they don't collaborate. Uh, and ultimately, you know, solutions from a larger player gets the most widest, uh, you know, application. Uh, and that's really the concern. I think there are a lot of great ideas coming up through the pipelines. I, um, I definitely, uh, we've been a huge proponent of integrating to all the solutions uh, that come up. 
uh, all the Asia-Pacific systems that we run through our consumer data uh, platforms are connected to Trainless Unified ID. We did connect to DigiTrust from IAB until it was shut down. Um, and, uh, you know, we are keeping an open mind. Uh, you know, whatever new efforts come out, uh, we want to be fully supportive of that. We want to bring the ecosystem up. Uh, I mean, with all of this, it's really the small publishers that stand to lose a lot, right? I mean, um, uh, you know, if pricing leverages go up for Google, Facebook, uh, it's going to have a drastic impact on the smaller guys. And that's where, uh, you know, a lot of collaborations needed. I don't think it's going to be a dearth of initiatives. I think there's going to be a lot of initiatives coming from the wider, you know, open internet. It's a matter of can everybody rally around one? And more importantly, will it work for the consumers, right? Uh, I've always feel that industry focuses a lot more on themselves. Uh, like even take the case of, uh, you know, the consent framework from GDPR, right? I feel very conflicted with it. Uh, you know, the consumer fatigue is very apparent. I don't think I read anything, right? Just click accept uh, because it's too, uh, you know, disturbing for me to see that pop up and I have to get rid of it, right? I don't really read any of it. Um, too much responsibility is given to the consumers. And I feel the industry really needs to shake its thinking in terms of not just about themselves. When we come up with solutions, does it work well for the consumers? Does it put consumers at the center of the solution? That, to me, is going to be the real game changer, right? Until we really do that, we will need the forced hand of legislations. The fact that legislations have to come to keep us in check is the real shame, right? I think uh, we as an industry, we should have reacted much earlier. Uh, and if not earlier, at least now, I think that's where we need to do better. Uh, how do you really make the experience better? Because everything else that we're doing is reactionary. Until now, I think the proactive element about caring about consumers, unfortunately, is not shining well through to the consumers. Like all these efforts that we talk about, I think it's only us talking in our own echo chambers. I think, honestly, that's where the biggest uh, shift needs to happen. When that happens, yes, I think the, the economy of internet will survive and go you know, leaps and bounds into the future directions. Yeah, well, there's an additional challenge of if legislation comes into play, because every country, as you know, has its own set of leg legislative rules that are dictated often by socioeconomic forces, political forces even. So it is another one of those, uh, yeah, challenging exactly. issues. We have different things to do in China. We have different things to do in many other places. So it's yeah, true. exactly. Since you mentioned China, actually, I'd like to touch on that. Uh, they are saying that AI is actually developing, in, it forking into the uh, Eastern or China, uh, China-based uh, AI and the West, which is led by the US. What are your thoughts on this? And how do we see a future with such forking happening? It will definitely affect the way technologies that have AI in them are, are developed. I mean, I'll give you a very crisp answer. I don't think it should fork. I think innovation, no, I mean, no innovation in the history of mankind uh, grew on because it was forked into two different versions for two, two different geolocations, right? So I think sharing both from the outside world to China and from, you know, China to other, you know, economies is very important. Uh, you know, uh, I work with the Chinese, uh, you know, uh, group here very much. And, uh, you know, fundamentally, there are technological hurdles that we have to go through. But, uh, you know, what next is, is the same principle. I, I think that fundamental understanding needs to go through because often we are held into an artificial boundary, but that shouldn't limit the learning that should be shared across the group. Forking at the end of the day just complicates uh, the learning across regions. So, yeah. Yeah, Luca, 
I think I think you're totally right, but also uh, I think the big difference when you when you touch that uh, great book by the way, uh, Kai Fuli AI Superpowers for people I can recommend like very yes, very well. That's the book I'm reading uh, as I think well. that's what you're referring to, right? Yeah, uh, that that's made rounds. He's very very eloquent, and I think the one of the big differences is if you look at the kind of a market condition for AI deployment development, it's it's not the technicality of it, it's also the legal frameworks, like the the amount and the detail of the granular. Um, you know, sensitive boundaries of data that's very commonplace to collect in China. You can never get away with that in the US. And that's obviously in a way of innovation in a certain sense. But you could argue that's not necessarily a bad thing because a consumer needs a protection and, and you kind of are looking at this potentially very powerful technology exploiting human behavior. And uh, it's not a simple topic in itself, right? And I think it most more segues into ethics of, of uh, AI and uh, any type of uh, advanced analytical application, not, not, not just AI. So that, that becomes, uh, becomes a bit a, bit, a, uh, bit, bit a kind of a murky water to, to me. But I think it's, it's obvious that uh, China's been kind of structurally putting investments into it. And if you look at it, as there's a lot of investment driven, driven from the government top down, uh, you know, the way they've, they've developed the startup ecosystem is just, they, they are, just what they've done with, within Shenzhen has been, has been fantastic. And yeah. like you kind of are looking at uh, five times the size of a Silicon Valley one city and they are doing it five times over uh, in, a, in a big a cities in china right uh, so so just the sheer scale is is is, uh, is insane and that's that's obviously a, a factor here as well so for, for sure oh true and as i wanted to ask you i guess as a as a follow-up and maybe i'll, I'll ask you pavel first uh, when it comes to to ai in 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 martech and in ad tech what's um what's real and what's not? What's actually being implemented? Because, um, yeah, obviously, as we were discussing, like the, the, the hype is big and there's definitely a lot of activity in AI uh, across the world and having, you know, the U.S. and China as two, as two key centers um, that, are, that are propelling it forward. But um, for, I guess, in general, within, within MarTech, what's, um, what are you seeing as what's real, what's not, and, um, and how does a, you know, a CDP provider play, play in that space? Look, uh, I've, obviously, this is something that that's on my kind of table and in my conversation day in day out, right? And I, I have to take a step away from the from the AI label, and I, I think I think I would maybe translate it into an algorithmic processing of data. Um, so so you know AI, as we if we talk about like a artificial intelligence or you know general artificial intelligence that's nowhere inside uh, in near future uh, that's not that's not existent right but if you talk about application of smart algorithm uh, into uh, some type of a marketing uh, marketing activities you're typically looking at predictions of, of the next behavior whether that's being a recommendation whether it's being content personalization so you you that, that's obviously where this is well, very well applied you know but then you look at then you look at uh, disciplines like uh, risk management in in a, in a finance and you're looking at effectively a risk scoring algorithm having having you know a couple hundred uh, uh, kind of levers uh, levers uh, that are being fed with with different uh, uh, data points and this this is still a, a very very basic uh, kind of a business logic and decisioning you know this is not uh, an advanced analytics so I think I think uh, obviously uh, we need in marketing one thing you need is is decisioning at scale right you can't be looking at uh, even though we want ultimately uh, a one-to-one marketing or this, this ultimate segment of one and tailored everything to, to this consumer, um, you know, from, from the banners later to product eventually and the aftercare, uh, that, that's the Shangri-La. It's a, that's quite, quite a ways away. And I'm, but I think the only way to get to that is some type of automated algorithmic decisioning. So we are on the right way for sure. Uh, I think the hype is, is uh, you know, I, I wish I got a dollar every time I, I hear that because it's a, I, I not have to be working on, on the, my startup anymore, I think. Um, but uh, it's, 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 been, it's been a little bit uh, tiring and I think we are at the, at the kind of a, just beyond the hype and next year we're going to be hearing something about, about something else. But essentially uh, for me, where, 
where we play a role in that when I think about about it with CDP. Look, we are not a company that focuses on building one algorithm for for you know product recommendations. I think ultimately these these algorithms are going to be fairly generic uh, commodity. It's all going to be coming down to what data are you feeding to it. If you are doing recommendations based on your transactional history, that's relatively lean data set. But if you bring into it any other behavioral data from the consumer, what are they clicking on a newsletter? What are they clicking on in terms of banners? What are they uh, looking at on the website? Which articles they are reading? Which products they are browsing? What they have they you know canceled and returned in past? Like if you take all of this into the consideration and make it one big robust data set, uh, I think implicitly the algorithms are going to be performing better. So that's the role we play in that. This synchronization, harmonization, enrichment of data, better taxonomy, uh, that's, that's where I see kind of our, our role in that. So taking all of the touch points from all of the corners of the business, bringing it into one place, feeding them into these algorithms. Now, wherever you build them in-house, buy them from Google or Microsoft, or have an external consultancy building them who are experts in that particular field, really whichever way you choose to go. But I think it all comes down to data. Better data sets, richer data sets are better than better algorithms. That's, that's kind of my view on that. That is so true, and that's that's fantastic. Data, data is what it, what it all comes down to, and, and um, definitely the that that is what's what's powering and fueling the the algorithms. Um, but obviously, yeah. So thank you, thank you very much. And and Vid, I'll ask you, I'll ask you the same around uh, around AI. What what do you see as what's what's real, what's hype, and what's what's being actually applied and implemented well uh, today? And what what would you like to see coming next? Yeah, so I think for us, uh, I have to say a lot of what we have in actual executions and I think AI is too early of a stage to say is effective, uh, you know, for us to scale it up and really get in with it, right? So I'll give you a very tangible example, right? So if you're talking about you know, uh, to elementary CDP, right? The fundamental background of that is to connect and zero the devices and everything. If you reframe AI as machine learning, right, just make the you know domain a bit wider, that is a real place where you know, companies are investing right now. Whether in the form of a CDP or whether they're on in-house you know algorithms or getting third-party vendors to work with us um, and really taking it. There's a lot, a lot of work going on in attribution modeling too, uh, you know, uh, and um, you know, especially with everything that's going on in the industry, the importance of uh, more data science is going to be more and more critical for us. Uh, you know, until now we had the luxury of connecting the whole identity through, uh, you know, a good, you know, I wouldn't say a good solution, but a solution. Uh, through third body cookies. And now if they go away, the dependency on advanced analytics increases a lot. Uh, my question is really on in terms of uh, how effective that whole piece will be, uh, you know, uh, especially at a time when effectiveness as a study is really going on, uh, is going to be the key differentiator, right? Uh, so it's going to be a balance. We need more of that. Uh, you know, kind of uh, exploration into the brave frontiers. But at the same time, we will be kept in check with the ROI angle too. So uh, it's going to be an interesting next uh, few months and years. Yeah. For sure. With a long list of uh, things to do or uh, ahead of us, right, for, for this entire industry, I'd like to bring the conversation back to talent. Uh, Vid, do you think there are enough marketing technologists, uh, marketing technology talent in the market today? And uh, if there aren't, how are you addressing the current gaps? Um, so I can, let me take the specific scope of APAC, right? I'm Asia Pacific as a region. Um, it's not, I'm pretty sure that the talent pool is on the very, very low side. Uh, it's really hard to get people with a, uh, you know, uh, with a firm grip on, grip on um, uh, you know, what's happening in the domain uh, from a market point of view, make the dots to the marketing side and really do the full drop, right? Um, so, you know, the reality is we need to work with, uh, you know, either 
on-the-job training or industry certifications. There are plenty of good ones. I mean, all the big companies have really good certifications to go after. That's the theory. I'm a firm believer in the practice. Uh, I think put it on, uh, you know, uh, you know, an actual practice situation with the uh, you know needs of the company. I think that's the best way to more talent. Uh, you know, the only way we can do this is to get the people with the agility and flexibility to learn continuously. Right? Um, I don't think anybody who says, "Hey, you know, uh, I know everything about marketing. I'll be, I'll not be doing anything more for the rest of my life." I think it's it's a constantly evolving landscape. Right? Um, it's like this year, this. This is the major flavor. Uh, I, I thought when GDPR came out, that was like the huge thing. Now I'm like, what GDPR? That's de facto, right? I mean, there's a totally new thing, right? And I'm sure next year we'll throw out another curveball. Um, so I think the important thing is to have the flexibility and agility in terms of, uh, you know, uh, you know, accepting all the changes that are coming ahead. Um, you know, it's always going to be, uh, you know, Change is the only constant, right? So, you know, we had to just go after it and uh, adapt to it. But the fundamental thing is you need a good, uh, you know, base in your technical fundamentals. I think the technical fundamentals are not going to change, right? Um, it's just how we execute, uh, you know, uh, in the future will change uh, constantly. So that, to me, is the most important thing. Have a bit of technical fundamentals, whatever platform, whatever it is, uh, you know, understand how things work today. Uh, go deep in it, uh, and then transfer your skills to any new thing that comes up next year, the following year, so on and so forth. Yeah. Pavel, what are your thoughts on this? Yeah, um, look, I, I, I don't have much more to add. It's I totally agree with what here. I think uh, I think it's it's a you know it's a, the marketing technologist uh, is the data scientist uh, sexiest title of you know of the century in last the last three years that we've seen that that's come that's coming up here. So it's just a very rare uh, breed. So you have someone who understands the, the discipline of, on marketing and is technical enough to understand uh, systems uh, architecture as well and uh, the technical details of uh, you know implementation of from and tracking and, uh, and uh, identifiers and how uh, DSPs and exchange uh, work, you know, that, that's, there's a lot in that space. So it's, it's not, you know, you, you're not, you're not going to kill it in the space by knowing how Google Analytics work and being very, very good at that. Like it's, it's just that, that silo skills don't, don't exist anymore here. So I think that's something we need to be shining a little bit more light on. And obviously the industry has a responsibility for that. So, so driving this education as, as the vendors, as the specialists, as whether that's a technology or, or a service, uh, service industries, I don't think in this, in space that moves this fast, you can rely on the traditional uh, education system to, to support to support your field I just think that's that's naive honestly it moves way too fast and education generally isn't something that's innovated at, at the at, you know pace that moves with market so I think it's it's honestly our responsibility uh, you know jointly yeah I could not agree more and one of the things that, that I like about the you know the online offerings in, in terms of education is that it allow, allows people to, to keep up uh, and invest in their education over time, but it also opens it up to to so many more people. So then you have more more of an equal um, footing for for people, and, and it definitely uh, has helped increase the uh, you know the 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 amount of experience and the diversity within teams, and being able to to help people come from all walks of life and be able to change careers. Um, to add value in our in our spaces, um, I know that we're we're coming up on time, and I'm going to be uh, respectful of your of your time. But guys, this has been phenomenal. This has been absolutely fantastic. So, Pavel and Vid, thank you, thank you so much for sharing uh, your insights, your knowledge, all your perspectives. It's been absolutely incredible. And Pat, always always a pleasure um, to see you to co-host with you. We, we're loving the partnership with She Loves Data, uh, loving these episodes. Thank you. Thank you so much, guys, for being on the show and for coming to, to share all your knowledge uh, with us. Thanks again. Thanks so much. Pleasure. Love the session. Thank you. Thank you guys.